0: Hey everybody, it's Sherry Tutkus and Dale Buckman. And welcome to Green Nurse Radio Show, Living Our Best Life. Tonight
1: so, we have a really special show tonight. Yeah, cannabis
0: We're, and sex, right? We have a spe- very special guest, Jordan Tischler. He's a, um Dr. Jordan Tischler, he's a medical doctor with Inhale MD. He is um, a Harvard graduate, Harvard Medical School, Brigham and Women's Hospital emergency room physician and he's work with veterans. We have a really exciting show tonight because as we all know, the endocannabinoid system regulates all of the other body systems, including our reproductive system. And the biggest question we have for him is can cannabis improve our sex lives, improve intimacy in our lives, and help us to live our best life? Yeah. First, we're gonna plug ourselves. Because <laughs> that's what we do every show. our
1: favorite part.
0: Plug. I <laughs> you know. What is a green nurse? What does
1: it mean to be a green nurse, Dale? So as you know, we, everything is not about cannabis and we're always talking about our entire, everything that's involved in good health. So biopsychosocial, spiritual aspect of health, the diet and nutrition, good sleep. Exercise. Social stress, engagement, stress right, management. management. Whole health. Being
0: a green nurse and the green nurse philosophy surrounds whole health, the entourage of health, total health care, biological healing, physical healing, emotional, psychological, mental, how we interact with people and our connection to the unseen world. Right, so we we talk, that's what the Green Nurse really is all about because on our journeys of healing as holistic healing nurses, we know that it's a one-size-fits-all approach does not work. And everybody has a story. And everybody has a story. So GreenNurse.com is coming and basically what we're
1: going to have at GreenNurse.com is a Green Nurse library research connecting people to research and information and articles that are important to them so they can understand and substantiation files because if we're going to
0: say something and we're going to be bringing professionals on to tell their stories we want to be able to substantiate what we say with current research that is out there and you'll be able to find that on greennurse.com it's
1: coming soon right Green yeah. nurse on the go. I mean, we always talk about that. I know, and it's one of our favorite things because we love getting out into the community and we love bringing education to the community because it's all about learning and Trying to decrease the stigma and mm-hmm. to learn how cannabis can possibly fit into your
0: life to help you to live a good life. Uh, Green nurse on the go. We bring you information that you wouldn't get anywhere else We're bringing community together. Part of my story is about how the recreational community embraced me when I was very sick and helped me to start living my best life so I could get back to being a nurse. Um, And the stories that we bring on, the patients that we work with and the people that are telling their stories about how cannabis has helped them heal, not only continues helps them to continue on their healing trajectory, but it also brings hope to people that are listening. That's an important piece. And hope is really important. Mm -hmm. So let's get to our the meat and potatoes. We're gonna be (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna be talking about penises and vaginas tonight as well as cannabis intimacy. Dr. Tischler, welcome. Thank you. Thank you 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 guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's everyone has a story. And basically, you went to you went to Harvard.
2: It's true. You went
0: to Harvard Medical School. That is also true. Practicing physician, Brigham and Women's Hospital, emergency room. What is just like, why cannabis?
2: Well, you know, um, it's all true. And so I come from sort of a very traditional background, right? You know, Harvard this and Harvard that. And Preparation everyone's. H. Preparation H. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, you know, I spent about 15 years being an emergency room physician for the VA in West Roxbury. And when you do that, you see a lot of veterans who've really been harmed by drugs and alcohol. And let me just point out alcohol far and away above even number two, Um, but obviously opiates and other medications as well. You sort of become kind of an expert in the trial by fire of how these things present and how you take care of people like that. Right. Somewhere around 2011, when Massachusetts started to entertain the idea of cannabis as medicine, I started thinking, you know, I've never seen anybody sick from cannabis. Mm. You would see patients come in and they might have cannabis use disorder on their problem list, but never saw anybody sick, you know, sort of like okay, maybe cannabis use disorder exists, maybe not, I don't know.
0: That's another whole
2: subject. Well, that right? and we can come back to that, absolutely. Yeah. I'm actually much more convinced that I do know now and I think it does exist, but, but one has to be thoughtful about how you make that diagnosis and right. oftentimes we're not. Um, but it was through this process of going, well, if this is medicine and I'm not seeing anyone sick from it, maybe we should be taking this seriously. And that sort of prompted my own drive to learn about it. So it took a couple of years to really read deep into the literature. And anybody who tells you that the literature doesn't exist, that we just need more studies, isn't paying attention.
0: They're not really doing the research That's that right. they can be doing. Exactly.
2: You know, one of the things I'm I'm quick to say is: look, every field needs more research. Cardiology is one of the most researched fields in the world. And yet we would never say, okay, we know it all, we're done, right? And we work from the knowledge that we have now and we make the best decisions based on what we know now, knowing full well that the story isn't done and that we will gain greater insight in the future and maybe even discover that what we're doing now turns out to be not so good. And cardiology is a great example because we used to use digoxin all the time. We don't use it very much anymore because it turns out that it wasn't as helpful as we thought it was. And this is true for cannabis you know what we know about cannabis is a lot and we can make some very sound clinical decisions for people today that are legitimate and helpful knowing full well that there are also aspects of it that we don't know and that we need to research further and maybe i would expect it will change our approach to practice down the line but that doesn't mean we should be standing still doing nothing for our sick patients now Mm -hmm. right so exactly so
1: let's the cannabis use disorder, because there's a lot of confusion. To jump into that, okay. Just a it, little bit. Well, sure. I see it a lot when patients come in, I look at their sure. problem list, Yep. I see that they have this listed. So addiction, dependency, cannabis use disorder, can you talk a little bit about that and how do you come to the decision that somebody, because patients are already afraid to talk to their physician about that or their provider and because they don't want to be labeled.
2: Well, I think the labeling aspect of things is really a problem. Right? I mean the only value in a label is if it helps us help somebody, right? And so there are definitely people who develop a problem with cannabis. And so we have to say whose problem, right? Is it the cop who says that you have a problem? I think not. I think if the patient says I want to stop using this substance and I don't seem to be able to stop, that that is a their definition of a problem and i think that is real but by that definition the number of people who fall into that category is much lower than for example if you look at the number of people who are labeled as cannabis use disorder by the mental health uh field where many of the people who come into detox programs are remanded there instead of going to jail when they got caught with their cannabis.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: that's not, I think, a particularly good definition of cannabis use disorder because it's no longer about what the patient needs, and how they feel about their use. It's about they got caught and they had to admit to something in the psychiatric mm-hmm. realm in order to avoid going into the clink. Right. Right. That to me, that's coercion. Right. Um, and there are some significant financial outcomes uh, f- that, that you know put that system forward. It's great that people aren't going to jail over this, but then you've installed an industry that makes a fair amount of money from filling beds with cannabis users. And right. in fact, if you look at some of these, these treatment programs, they, if you remove the cannabis remanded patients, they would not have enough volume to keep their doors open. Mm. And so you can see that there's a fair incentive for them to keep those beds filled.
0: Right. So we all have an endocannabinoid system and we all have a reproductive system. Absolutely. And basically, as we know, the endocannabinoid system regulates all of the other systems in our body. Yep. And since we're gonna be talking about cannabis and sex, the biggest question I have, can cannabis improve all phases of human sexuality?
2: Interestingly, the answer is yes. And, you know, one of the things we have to do is put this in the context of what are our sort of other conventional options. And really, we haven't got very many, right? When it comes to women, frankly, we've got nothing, really. When it comes to men, we have drugs like Cialis and Viagra and stuff like that. But those focus entirely on erectile dysfunction which is a significant problem but it's only one of many problems that can occur and they don't do anything for any of these sort of other aspects of so things.
0: So in other words the other aspects which mean right biopsychosocial spiritual so it might be working exactly. on the physical inability to have an erection but then you're not touching upon the mental the social the spiritual the components that mm. incorporate good Absolutely. Health. And and
2: then also we have to recognize that you know so people have Trouble with one or more of these phases, so that erectile dysfunction is one issue, but that they may have other issues as well. Or if we're talking about women, that there's a whole host. So we, we should just stop by and step back and talk about these phases for a moment. Sure. Oh, yeah. So really, desire. You know, right. So, you know, you can kind of break <laughs> this down into four phases. Um, there's, there's desire or libido, people commonly use. And then there's arousal, so in men that's the ability to get and maintain an erection. And in women there's muscle relaxation and lubrication that needs to happen. And all these things sort of have to happen in their proper order before sex can happen. right? And then you get into sort of the mechanical phase of, of doing it, <laughs> right? And then hopefully there's an orgasm, at least one, maybe more. Um, maybe more. Maybe more. Um, <laughs> and. After that, then there's this phase that we call satisfaction, which is sort of after it's all said and done, how do you feel internally and also how do you feel about your partner and that sort of thing. And what's really interesting. Connection. exactly. I mean, in some ways the question really is why have sex? Why not just masturbate all the time? And the answer, I think, is that there are ways in which masturbation is better than sex.
0: You get to know yourself.
2: Absolutely. Reach out
0: and touch yourself. (laughs) And perhaps
2: perhaps you even have a better orgasm in the truest sense of just focusing on sort of the quality or intensity of that orgasm. But it's fairly unlikely that masturbation is going to lead to that kind of intimacy and connection Mm -hmm. with another person. And I think that that, for most of us, Past a certain age, anyway, is really the driver of why we have sexual relations.
1: So, mm-hmm. how does cannabis affect men and women differently?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Going back to our phases, phases yes, right. That's
1: good. You talk there's about men,
0: <laughs> the men and the desire, the women and desire. Well, one of men the things and arousal, that we don't really arousal.
2: understand, you know, like when women hit middle age, there's all this discussion in the press about how they lose their desire and all that sort of thing. Not realized and not recognized and not talked about much is that roughly 30% of men have decreased desire Right, Mm -hmm. if you think about it, that's a large number. It also means that where does this come up? It comes up in that the conflict between those men and their partners, right? If you have low desire and Nobody's kind of complaining about your lack of interest. Then what do you care, right? It's really a matter of that dyadic mm-hmm. relationship where your desire is lower than your partner's and therefore there's some conflict. So we need to understand that men are not simply subject to erectile dysfunction, that there are issues around desire um, that, that, are, that are huge. Um, so we can use cannabis in both genders to stimulate that sort of
0: stimulate desire exactly
2: Um, and hopefully in doing that what we can do is get the couple on a more even matching
0: right right Mm -hmm. and not Not so much dissonance
2: right exactly i mean how much fun is sex if you guys are crabbing about you know how often and how much and what kind right it's obviously much more Fluid and positive if everyone's just like hell. Yeah, let's do it, right? Mm -hmm. So the cannabis obviously doesn't override anything and may turn people into sexual zombies or anything like that But it allows people to kind of equalize that level of desire and that leads to a more harmonious relationship and then it also Helps with that arousal phase. So and this is a little bit where the men and women differ so for women It tends to increase lubrication, it tends to decrease anxiety, which then also leads to relaxation of the perineal muscles that allow sexual intercourse to happen more readily and without pain, and those sorts of things. And for men, it can stimulate erections. However, Mm -hmm. it can also be difficult, right? So for women, there's less of an issue around the dose, you know, in general, my feeling as a physician is less is more across the board, right. not just with cannabis, with all medicines. But women kinda have more leeway in this area that they can tolerate a higher dose and still enjoy the sexual and perform pre- well. Right. right. Whereas men, you know, there's a certain amount of focus that's required to both maintain mm. the erection and also to go through the mechanics of sex. Right. Um, and so if you're too high, you kind of lose lose that focus and things can kind because of go awry. Because you're in Jupiter, mm-hmm. That's right? it, exactly. You're in <laughs> Jupiter and you're
0: thinking about Doritos. <laughs> that's exactly right.
2: Exactly. You have to be in the moment and cannabis can help you be in the moment and too much cannabis can take you into some other market. moment, you know. Right. And, and so for men, there's that balance and, and in general... I would say somewhere around the 10 milligram mark for most men tends to be kind of the sweet spot. Right. Um, and then what's really interesting is that for both men and women, it can intensify the orgasm so that you, know, you just have that much more powerful and overwhelming experience. Uh, that, explosion, that, that explosions that explosion exactly. <laughs> cool. It can men make men multi-orgasmic. Some men are multi orgasmic to begin with, and we don't hear much about that, do we? Um, and then But
0: we'd like to talk, we'd love to t- hear from a man if you're <laughs> multi orgasmic. We'd, we'd love to hear from you, please. Okay. write. Ask at it greennursegroup.com. It's a good.
1: So, is it all about um, the inhibition or limiting that inhibition, lowering it, or is there another biological reason why cannabis is so good?
2: I think that's a very good question that I think we don't really have the answer to in any concrete fashion. There's clearly some focus and in the momentness sort of effects and the mm. decrease in anxiety, but we also know that some people uh, also experience pain during intercourse. Mm, yeah. That, you know, cannabis, THC in particular, as an analgesic, as an anti pain medication, may be having some direct effect there. Mm. Um, uh, and then I think that there's sort of a whole host of sort of higher level psychological phenomena that have to do with, you know, if we're looking at somebody who has sexuality issues, there's, there, are, there are causes for that. Some of them biological and some of them are, are psychological. And so for women who may have a form of, of sexual PTSD, being able to kind of put that on the shelf because of the effect of cannabis allows, again, being more in the moment and, and mm-hmm. connecting with the partner.
0: Connecting with the partner so they can mm-hmm. experience joy and pleasure.
2: Exactly. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, if things are intruding in your mind as you're trying to be here and now and enjoy that pleasure, it, it interrupts, you know. Oh, yeah. And with the cannabis, we can kind of just kind of turn that down or turn it off for a while,
1: and that's right. a good thing. Yeah, that is a good thing. So, uh, a lot of common medications today cause sexual dysfunction. That is a side effect. Absolutely. So, if some, and we see a lot of patients on these medications, so will cannabis still help them? Will they benefit from it?
2: Yes, actually, I think that for many people, those side effects of other conventional medications that they need and that are helpful to them but have these unfortunate side consequences. Can benefit from cannabis because they sort of override those side mm, effects.
0: Yeah, um,
2: and and the classic example is an SSRI, right? Many many Americans for their anxiety and depression are given an SSRI, and as a consequence of that SSRI, you may in fact have elevation of the mood, right? The depressed and the anxious gets better, but then people often talk about, but the 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 joy gets a little squashed. You become you know, very
1: flat. Mm-hmm. Flat.
2: I mean, people, my patients often say, it makes me feel like a zombie. I'm neither high nor low. I'm just there.
0: Boring.
2: Right. I, and <laughs> and, and I, can, <laughs> I can understand that. Absolutely. And what we really want is something that brings the bottoms up without squashing the top, right? Right. Well, cannabis, it turns out, kind of unroofs that top again. So you can go back to expen- experiencing the joy in life without having to get back into that sort of bouncing between yes and no and and, and the bottom of the pit. So cannabis works really well with a number of medications like the SSRIs to not only stimulate the kind of sexual stuff that we're talking about, but really to kind of override or or remove some of the side effects that often come with those the pharmaceuticals. Drugs. You know? Absolutely. And
1: Definitely. one of the side effects of cannabis, as we know, is it makes you thirsty. So is it? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's the myth. Does this come up? Does this create a oh,
2: problem? Oh, the, the dry vagina thing? The dry vagina. It's absolutely not true. Um,
0: because it, we, as we know, right, cannabis works on our salivary glands very different than how it's going to work in our lubricating. That's <laughs> so absolutely right. the so gestures down, down there. Yeah. Well, it's exactly right. <laughs> the mechanism by which
2: vaginas lubricate is completely different from how we make saliva. And in fact, when we use cannabis and get a dry mouth, we're not actually dehydrated. We're not thirsty for the right reasons. What we have is simply that the THC interacts directly with those salivary glands and shuts them off, right? So it's kind of a miss signaling situation. And so probably most people who have used cannabis in the past can relate to, if you drink a lot of fluid to treat the dry mouth, you immediately run to the bathroom to pee, right. right? That's because your body isn't dehydrated, so you've actually now added more water in than your body needs. You're doing it because you're getting this stimulation of a dry mouth, which usually means you need to drink water, right? right? And in fact, in this case, you do need to drink a little bit of water to keep your mouth lubricated but when we drink a whole cup of water now we've actually had more than we need and our body responds by that to that by making us urinate it out
0: right mm-hmm. so right.
2: the idea that because you can get a dry mouth you're going to get a dry vagina is just not understanding the true biology
0: right either. and if people do have dry vaginas it's probably a different reason absolutely and you know
2: we know that you know that women of a certain age may develop dryness in the vagina that has to do with the withdrawal of estrogen from the lining of the vagina. Right. And that's something that's you know best treated by treating the, the problem, right? In some cases, maybe low-dose de- estrogens topically or locally applied, if that's safe for a woman, which it's not true for every woman, or simply you know, a lube, right? right? Which allows us to sort of override that problem with a, with a product. Right. that works really well
0: so estrogen is important too estrogen sensitivity but before we get use. to
1: that because that's a good topic the lubes that they're making now they're infused yes how is the is that thc bio available is it going to make a difference or will any lube that's available do
2: when it comes to the dry vagina issue then i think any lube will do and i don't mm-hmm. think that there's anything particularly about adding cannabis to the lube that's going to be helpful Um, There is some evidence that topically applied cannabis lube can make the tissue down there uh, more sensitive,
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: right? And for some women, that may be an advantage.
1: You mean Mm -hmm. for clitoral stimulation?
2: Clitoral or vaginal. Mm -hmm. Um, But the point is that locally, sort of down there, Some women are simply less sensitive than they would like to be. And And so the
0: cannabis can increase their sensitivity so they feel more. That's
2: right, Mm -hmm. that's exactly right. But I would say that in the sort of scheme of sexuality issues, that's this much. It's not a very large amount. And what I typically say is, look, the vast majority of sexuality doesn't happen down there; it happens up here, mm-hmm. right? above the neck, <laughs> exactly. And so, if we put cannabis on our genitals, we miss all of that potential therapeutic be- benefit, all of the desire stuff, mm-hmm. most of the arousal stuff, the orgasm stuff. Probably, mostly has less to do with s- local sensitivity and more to do with being receptive to the explosion, Mm. Um, and then obviously all of that connectedness and satisfaction, that's all going on in our heads, not in our genitals. So when patients come to me with these sorts of issues to discuss them, I don't point them towards the lubes in general, I point them towards systemic cannabis, meaning cannabis that we take into our entire body. Mm -hmm. Um, And generally I point them towards some sort of inhaled cannabis. Because the onset is both rapid and predictable, as opposed to something that you take orally, like a gummy bear or something like that, where, you know, it may take quite a long while before it sets in—maybe an hour, maybe even longer than that—and sort of, you know, how does mm-hmm. that factor into your sexual? Right. If you've right. got a,
0: a, your partner, right, one of one of them kicks in quick, and the well, other one doesn't too. kick in, or someone's not kicking in at all. Someone's eating chips, the other one. Right.
2: So you know, if you're doing this. Um, if you're doing this in a couple, right, you want this to work and you want Synergy. it to work right at the same time, right? You do not want to be sitting around saying, Well, I wonder if this is gonna kick in, or as you point out, one of them's kicked in and the other has not. The
0: other one's like, hmm Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> so so Tick you know clock. when you if you use a vaporizer, because that's safer than smoking, and in particular a flower-based vaporizer, because that's safer than the oil vaporizers, you can essentially work that process into the foreplay, right? You can share it and, and, and talk about it and get a little, ca- a little high and a little giddy and, and then- have some fun. That's right. Right? That's right?
0: What is, I mean, sex is not only for reproducing, God but as adults, <laughs> it's, it's the playground. It's an
2: enjoyable and it's interactive. And so again, being able to interact around the process of imbibing the substance that then sort of moves things downfield is a really good way of doing it.
0: Right.
2: You know, people often talk about cooking these gourmet meals that are cannabis-infused and stuff like that. And that kind of, at least for me, leaves me a little bit flat. Again, because of that synergy and the timing, but also Mm -hmm. like, you know, I remember somebody talking about making this wonderful sort of maple-glazed cannabis salmon, and I'm thinking, now you've taken this beautiful recipe for maple glazed salmon and you've ruined it making it taste like weed, (laughs) right? And I know that there are people out there who really like the taste of weed and more power to them, but I think for most people, the flavor of of cannabis is not necessarily something that they wanna look forward to in the course of their home cooked gourmet meal. Mm. So again, I think, you know, obviously different strokes for different folks, but when people come to me and they're asking my advice, my advice is, you know, take a few puffs on the vaporizer, and then eat the meal, and then go have sex. Yeah,
0: there you go. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Vaporizer, so eat the meal. try it tonight. Go have sex, <laughs> right? And then the different ways of using cannabis too. So one of the things when we talk, we talk about patients that are really sick and chronic mm. illness, and mm. that are in pain, and don't wanna be touched.
2: That's, That's right. right. So
0: cannabis can help. Right, Not only if they're, whatever way they're taking it to manage their symptoms, but even the oils and the lubricants and touching. You know, people don't like to be touched when they don't feel good. And touch is such a, so important.
2: Absolutely human. We
0: Absolutely. need it.
2: Absolutely. You know, in, even in the circumstance where we're not even talking about sexuality directly, but simply human contact, the ability to sort of relax Feel like the symptoms, that pain or the anxiety have sort of been lifted for the yeah. while, allows that kind of intimacy of contact and and connectedness, even if we're not talking about sexuality necessarily. Right. Just being able to Massage. snuggle, mm-hmm. you know. That intimacy, sort of thing. like exactly. intimacy,
0: not even with sex or penetration, like increasing intimacy using cannabis. Absolutely. It's, you know, connecting together, doing things that are yeah, fun that together, touching. Experience one another one Mm. of the
2: things we didn't talk about yet is that cannabis we we talked about the first three phases but the last one that Ah. satisfaction one is really sort of almost where it you know it all funnels down to that that's the therapeutic benefit connection connection exactly and we actually know that cannabis stimulates the release of oxytocin which is a hormone that has been connected with these feelings of connectedness And so, so, yeah, it's huge.
0: Yeah, so cannabis can trigger release of oxytocin. Orgasm can trigger release of oxytocin, right? Women that are breastfeeding their children stimulates release of oxytocin. So we have that close connected feeling. Mm.
2: Yep, absolutely. It's all connected and we should be connected and this helps for people.
0: Exactly, exactly. So what are some of the, um, one of the things too that, uh, some women have um, and we're talking about the endocannabinoid system reproductive system polycystic ovarian disease and how that might help cannabis might help there's a lot of women that have that it's a you know a hormonal imbalance absolutely and how the cannabis can help with that
2: you know it's an interesting area where we uh, where we do need some more study but yeah. I would bet based on my clinical experience that this is an area where it would be very very helpful people with pco can have a significant amount of pain um Mm. as well as sort of as you say hormonal imbalance that that leads to all kinds of shifts in libido and And also how they process
0: food how they process Mm -hmm. you know they become insulin resistant they become overweight absolutely they develop you know it's a uh, trunkal obesity, a lot of facial hair. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so, it's uh, the endocannabinoid system and using cannabis can really help these women Absolutely. start to regulate their systems. Yeah. Um, so, what about studies? Are there any, <laughs> any studies out there? Any sex studies? Oh, yeah. There's ongoing.
2: So, there was a study, this is maybe 10 or 12 years old, um, that I thought was very instructive it's one of the things that got me into thinking about cannabis for sexuality Um, so there were some intrepid researchers in London um, who wanted to look at cannabis for sexuality and they wanted to be rigorous about this so they invented a device to measure female sexual arousal right so this device measures vaginal contractions and vaginal lubrication. So not surprisingly, as you might imagine, this contraption, when all said and done, looks a lot like a dildo, right? Oh, my. Right? What? Because <laughs> oh. form, oh. function, etc. Oh,
0: gosh. Um, <laughs>
2: so then they managed to find a whole bunch of healthy female volunteers who came in for the experiment in which they inserted this dildo-esque thing to measure. And then they showed them some... Videos. So the first video was news like CNN, and as you might expect, not a lot happened, right? <laughs> because CNN doesn't usually turn people on too much. And then they showed these women um, some pornography, and you know, maybe there was a little bit more reaction, but it wasn't something that was particularly overwhelming. Then they gave the women some cannabis, and unfortunately, in that actual study, they didn't use cannabis. They actually used IV THC, oh, but man. in any case, it was in the right direction. So now the women are high, and again they show. Wait, the so CNN, wait, the women are
0: high. They and have these in, this internal machine in their vaginas. Exactly, right. <laughs> and, and they're, they're in a lab. C- wait, and they're <laughs> in a lab watching CNN, <laughs> and then porno.
2: Well, so here's the thing. So then they show them the CNN again, and again nothing happens. So there's your control group, right? And then they show the pornography and suddenly the meters are jumping. Like all of a sudden this is working. And so my conclusion from reading this study is cannabis can even make bad porn interesting. <laughs> but you know, this is how we understand these are the kinds of experiments that lead to our understanding that in fact, using cannabis can increase desire and can increase arousal. This particular study didn't look at orgasms or satisfaction, but there are other studies out there that do look at those sorts of things.
0: Right, mm. there was another article that I had read that you had, that you had contributed to that talked, it was a 2015 study in the release of oxytocin. Um, you wanna talk a little bit about that? Well, anything? I think
2: we don't really know that much about why, we just know that it does, and as a result of its being released, that leads to the kinds of phenomena that we've been talking about in terms of that bonding and intimacy and sort of snuggling good relationships. And I, it's not clear to me why that happens, Right. but I think at some point, we can simply accept that it does and we can use it for our benefit while others of us are going out there and figuring out the why.
1: Right. So for patients that haven't tried cannabis before and yes, and they want to try it for the first time in the context of sex, what Mm -hmm. do you recommend?
2: Well, so the first thing is how are you gonna take it and then what are you gonna do about it? So the first thing I suggest is again, that vaporizer, right? Um, There are many, many different vaporizers out there. Some of them are better than others, but the basic idea here is that this is a machine into which you put your ground cannabis material and it heats that material to a very specific temperature. And it turns out that that temperature is 350 degrees Fahrenheit. And I always say to my patients, just like we were making cookies, right? And that's the temperature at which we get all of the medicine that we need. Where but we can we're not-
0: get baked. Ah, I'm
2: good. am Sorry. I had, go. to, I had to put that in there. <laughs> yes, I can see you were waiting. Like,
0: oh, what's she gonna come up with? I'm sorry. Oh,
2: it's great. It's great. Listen, we're talking about sex and we're talking about cannabis. So, if we can't have a sense of humor, then we're brain dead, right? Exactly. So, absolutely. I'm sorry. Um,
0: I didn't mean to lose your train of thought. <laughs> no, but
2: I wanted to talk about the vaporizers for a sec. So, the yeah. point is 350 is wonderful. We're getting the medicines, but we're not getting any products of combustion. So, it's the safest way so to do this. we're steaming
0: it. So, we steam the cannabis leaves to release the oil that we can inhale. Yeah, right? more or less. Just try to.
2: And so, this is, I think, helpful for the people who are saying, I've never done this before, I'm a little nervous about it. I think it's reassuring to them to say, look, <coughs> we don't recommend smoking, mm-hmm. you're not gonna get any smoke, you're just getting the medicine. I think that's a good starting point for some people. And then I tend to teach people how to use the vaporizer in a way that allows us to get a fairly consistent dose, but we want a low dose, right? We want to start- Start low, go slow. Exactly, want to get the toe in the water. We don't want to jump in at the deep end of the pool. And it's very easy, um, if we're not being thoughtful about this, to end up at the deep end of the pool. And unfortunately, our culture at the moment in the cannabis space tends to point people towards the deep end of the
0: pool pretty Mm -hmm. easily and quickly. when Dale and I teach about cannabis, one of the things that we say, there's three ways to use cannabis, medically, recreationally, and irresponsibly. And it all has to do with the consciousness that you have When you're going to consume,
2: that's absolutely right. And always
1: starting low and titrating up very slowly, like we do with any medication.
2: And I think the other thing on the titration side is that, you know, when we get to the place where it's good, then we need to stop there, Mm. right? And sometimes there's a, you know, the advice that maybe people get at the dispensary or from their brother in law or whatever is, you know, more is more. And so you titrate and titrate and titrate past the point where you're getting that benefit into which you're really kind of get just getting more side effects, more stoned, right. um, more dry mouth, more confusion, those sorts of things. And at some point there's really not any benefit in that. And Absolutely certainly yet. when we're talking about the sexuality stuff, that's a a, a a prime example, right? Whereas a man might do really well on one or two puffs on the vaporizer, at three to four puffs, he's sort of no longer with it's it. in Jupiter. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the other thing that I s- tell people is, you know, if you're really new to this, then start out doing this by yourself, right? Yes. Go home, make sure you have mm. some time on your hands, set the mood, right? Make sure you're in a safe place. Your, you know, 12-year-old isn't going to walk in on you, right? And then take <laughs> a couple Your vaporizer of puffs, and
0: vibrator, right? <laughs>
2: right. Take a couple <laughs> of puffs and then, you know, figure out how that makes you feel and masturbate so that you get an understanding, exactly.
1: Self-awareness, body awareness. Would you also recommend that for, say, a couple, one is a user and the other isn't, so for that person, they should start on their own before they try it out with their partner that's already experienced?
2: Absolutely. Um, And whether that member of the couple wants to do it totally on his or her own or maybe with the partner but in a non-sexual fashion. Right. so you know you're gonna get stoned now a little bit and then you're gonna masturbate and I'm gonna walk you through it essentially the more experienced partner acts as a guide but without the expectation of, of intercourse during that episode
0: so you're building trust you're building intimacy you're building connection yeah
2: shared experience and right. you know for people who are truly new to this it can be a bit daunting Largely because of the fear of the unknown not so much because of the actual medicine But you kind of do have to get into a comfortable space to get over that pun intended hump Um, (laughs) You know and really feel like this is okay, that you are, you know, I think a lot of people Worry that they're going to be out of control that they're going to turn into some stupid or (laughs) drooling moron or pass out or any of those sorts of things and B- vulnerability
0: not, is tough for people
2: it is especially you know sort of self inflicted like oh my god what have I done to myself mm. and you know what if you take enough cannabis you can get yourself far enough out there that you really can have those sorts of problems right. but again if you're doing this in a responsible mature fashion for a purpose You are going to go at this very slowly. You're not going to go and light up a big fatty and smoke the whole damn thing and then be wondering why you can't find your feet, right? (laughs) Never (laughs) mind your vagina. Right, exactly. So, you know, there's just just ways to do this that work really well. And there are ways to do this that are just incautious, and you can end up being kind of miserable about it. The goal, obviously, for all of us is to help our patients figure out how to do this in a gentle and thoughtful fashion so that they have a really great outcome. I mean that's right. the whole point and um, you know at, after you've kind of got this sense that the sky isn't gonna fall while you use this stuff then you can relax enough to sort of use it together and get in the bed together and and sort of work on that sort of thing or not in the bed you know in the treehouse or wherever <laughs> it is yes. you want well, to go do I, it you know
1: a kitchen counter, kitchen <laughs> counter <laughs> right there you go, Dale. Not that I've ever done it All on the right. kitchen counter, just for the record. Yeah. But so a lot of patients, uh, I haven't had any patients talk to me about sexuality. You're known for that. So what would make it easier? What do you recommend for patients? How do you talk to your provider about sex? How do you bring this up?
2: Oh, boy. That's a really good and a complicated, difficult question. I think, you know, if we leave cannabis out of it for the moment and just talk a little bit about How often do people with sexuality issues, for lack of a better word, talk to their providers at all? The numbers there are dismal. So for women, it's 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 about 30%. For men, it's less than 25%, -hmm. probably lower in the single digits to teens.
0: That's the percentage of people that will actually talk to their providers. That's correct.
2: Now, an interesting study was done some years ago asking the question, well, if people aren't getting the sexual help from their providers that they need, is that because the patients aren't asking or because the, the providers aren't willing, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us might have thought that the providers would telegraph that they weren't willing, right? But it turns out that 75% of polled providers were willing, ready, willing, and able You know, which leaves 25% who weren't, and we need to work on those folks a little bit. But the point is, the vast majority of providers turned out to be able to do this kind of discussion. So that the onus really ended up more with the patients and their Mm -hmm. uncomfortableness about that. Now, of course, as a professional, the goal is to be able to bridge that gap and to be able to say, look, this isn't on my mind, it may be on your mind, let's bring this up and see where things stand. I think that's another step and that wasn't included in that study that I just mentioned. That is to say being passively um, ready to address it is different from actively seeking these issues from your patients. So we need we, we have some progress to move there. But really when it comes down to it, I think that, that the patients need to feel comfortable with their providers yeah. across all range of illnesses, mm-hmm. I mean, how many patients? are comfortable enough to talk to their patients about depression
1: or anxiety?
2: And the answer is probably a lot fewer than are willing to talk about their blood pressure, for example. But it is our goal as a profession to make this more available and to make ourselves physically and emotionally available to our patients so that they feel the comfort to be able to bring this up when it's necessary and then i'm you know and then on some level we also have to say to the patients look if this is bothering you
0: you need to tell me yeah, right D-
2: damn whatever it. you think of the provider's response you might be surprised that they're more receptive than you think and just kind of lay it out there yeah Um, that's tough in our puritanical societies
0: you know we're always encouraging our patients to really you really need to communicate with your doctor i mean that your doctor's working for you right it's
2: very hard to help you with something that we don't know is a problem right right until you tell us
1: so with um depression for example Mm -hmm. we we're starting to screen more in primary care although it's very still very limited do you think we should be screening should providers be starting the conversation is it that, their with responsibility. Depression. No, no depression with sexuality. sexuality. sexuality.
2: Yeah. You know, I think that sort of logistically, I think that's a great idea. Um, but the flip we side We won't of that, be
1: reimbursed for it, though. Well, I don't know <laughs>
2: about that. I, I, I bet we would be. But what I think is the problem is that if you look at the... And this is way beyond all of our pay grades, unfortunately. But if you look at the problems that we have with primary care in the United States, the biggest issue is that you get to see your doctor for 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. And that doctor has to deal with anything and everything that's on your mind plus a whole bunch of things that's on her mind because you know the government says you need to screen for this stuff or whatever. So you know whether it's um, blood pressure or seat belts or bicycle helmets or mm-hmm. pap smears or any of those sorts of things, it's a very long laundry list of things that you wanna squeeze into a very short period of time. So in some ways, I think the idea of screening for sexual health is very important, I'm not sure we can shoehorn it into something that's already bursting at the seams. It's part of the reason why I started practicing cannabis medicine the way I do, which is to say that when I looked at my colleagues and thought about what they were already faced with in that short window of time, I thought taking on cannabis medicine is never gonna happen, it takes too much time. So when I see my patients, I spend an hour with them up front. Mm -hmm. That's already four times the amount of time, time. and I'm only talking about one problem with one potential solution, not this whole array of stuff. So it's been very successful to me, or for me, to be able to go back to my physician colleagues and say, this is why I set up my practice as a specialty clinic, and we co-manage patients, so that you don't need to know or have the time, which you don't, to, to really get into this in the depth that it needs to be gotten into. You just need to know when it's appropriate to send somebody to me. Right. And then we can work on treating that patient together, together as oh, a yes. team. That's been incredibly successful. Well, I, wanna, I want you to share with everyone about your practice in HALMD. Yeah. Sure. So I have an office in Brookline on Beacon Street and a new office in Cambridge uh, out on Concord Ave in the Fresh Pond area. And you know we've been at this for over five years. And we've got thousands of patients who are doing really well using cannabis. Take a very sort of, you know, we talked earlier about my sort of traditional background. I take a very serious and traditional approach to this in the sense that I really get in there and talk to patients about what's going on with them and listen to what mm-hmm. is on their mind. And then I have a, a packet of material that we go through so that they come away with a very thorough education as to what cannabis is, how it works, what it can do for you, what it can't do for you, what are the pitfalls in interacting with a cannabis dispensing system, how not to end up buying things that are not good for you and that sort of thing. And at the end of it, it boils down to what I call my prescription-y thing. And I call it that, I mean, I make a joke of it. Wait, but is it a prescription-y thing? (laughs) And I call it, because basically it says what a prescription should say. It says, get this kind of a product, use this much, use it this often, buy Mm. this much. This is what you would write on a prescription. Mm -hmm, The only difference is that it doesn't have the force of law to make the dispensary do what I say. Unfortunately, that's still on the patient, which I think is problematic for patients, that that level of agency
0: is difficult
2: one of the reasons why the pharmacy system was developed so that that agency was, you know-
0: Their um, expertise was honored.
2: Right. (laughs) Not just my expertise, but also it takes the patient out of the position of having their arm twisted. Right. Right? Yeah. If you go into a a pharmacy with a prescription for a blood pressure medicine, they sell you that medicine. Yeah, they're not going to try to- to wink, sell you something else. right would you like mm-hmm. some Percocet with that right they can't do that <laughs> it takes that profit motive drive out of the equation uh, we just love yeah um, so I think we need to get back to that because it re, because the current cannabis system puts a vulnerable patient in an awkward hot seat position yeah, and
1: yes, we've seen so that a lot a lot, yeah. unfortunately.
0: Because you know the bottom line is when we're educating and working with patients, you know our question to them is what's important to you and how do you want to live your life We not only look at medical diagnoses, mm. we look at symptoms, we look at lifestyle, lifestyles that play such a huge impact oh, And how do people want to live their lives and what type of cannabis would work best with them making the decision based on our
2: education? Absolutely right you know I mean a, a great example of that is you know like I have um, patients who are, very high-functioning individuals, lawyers, doctors, bankers, etc. So to say to them, you know, you get up in the morning and you take your cannabis by whatever means, and then you go to work, well, that's a non-starter for a lot of them, right? Right. So we have to figure out how are we going to treat their illness or their symptoms Mm -hmm. in a way that allows them to be the most... Live their best life. Live their best life, to be functional, to be able to do what they need to do. No one wants to trade their career for whatever the benefit of cannabis is, right? right? They need both in the best possible combination that they can get.
1: And the, the other thing is the patients that don't want the intoxicating effects but they still want to use cannabis and then they go to the dispensary and they call and they talked me into buying and then they end up with all these expensive products that expensive. they are willing to use or you know, somebody that's at a risk for falls and now they're using cannabis at such a high dose that they're, I mean, it's inevitable. Yeah, they're out of it, they're at yeah. risk for
2: fall, they're at risk for developing tolerance and possibly even dependence. Um, you know, I, I, I get calls from my patients periodically that, you know, doctor, I don't feel well. Well, what are you doing? Well, you know, and they, they say, you know, like, uh, that's not what I suggested to you. Exactly. Right? You know, I know and I even often go back in, in my notes, and I'm like, okay, just reassuring myself that I didn't say that. Yeah. Um, and and they so why why are you doing that? Well, the guy at the dispensary said, and you know, the classic is, I might send somebody and buy an eighth of an ounce of flour that contains between fifteen and twenty percent THC, so relatively low potency, which is hard to find. And then, you know. Some somebody the dispensary says here's a bottle of keef. Just sprinkle some of this on top. Oh before my god! You, you know, so now you've taken something from fifteen percent THC mm-hmm. to sixty-five percent THC, and you wonder why you're feeling a little miserable. Well, you just overdosed on this stuff. And sure, it's not going to kill you, but it can sure make you miserable. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is what I, these are the calls I get.
0: Dose dependent. That's
1: yeah. what Absolutely. It is. It's personalized and medicine. It's, it's personal.
0: customizable. And it all has to do with not only your diagnoses, but the medications you take and what you're doing, what you're eating, how you're living your life,
1: your stress management, everything. And what Absolutely. your desires are what of the effect that you're looking for. Right. So
2: I don't know too many patients whose desire is to be blitzed.
1: That, right? right? I mean, that's right.
2: pretty much the opposite of what, And I'm not casting aspersions on recreational use. I think it's perfectly fine. But in those circumstances, some form of intoxication on up to blitzed is the goal, right? Mm -hmm. And that leads to a desire to experiment. What happens if I roll up a bigger joint? What happens if I lace it with a little bit of shatter? All those sorts of things are exploratory and
0: and that's okay it's but
2: absolutely okay but it's a very different purpose and mindset. yes
0: patients using on the other medicine. hand
2: want a particular result and they want it every time with reliability mm-hmm. it's not exploratory they want to know what do I do so that I have a desired outcome that is reproducible and that's that, absolutely yeah. different from what happens if I chug a cannabis soda right,
0: right? Oh my so gosh, sugar. Yeah. Right, <laughs> well, that, <you> know, that's, <laughs> <other> that's another <laughs> issue. But you know, right. so the
2: point is that the, the intentions, the desires, the needs are so radically right. different that we really need systems that address the needs of both groups, and they're really so distinct. You know, we need something where, for patients, we can say, here is a little product. It doesn't have a ton of calories in it. Right, but it's going to get you just the right amount of medicine and it's going to work exactly as you expect each time. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, to, to, a, to a stoner, affectionately
0: termed, that would be boring. Like, why really? would I want that? Well, can All I right. tell you what's interesting? And I have to say this. I've, I've worked with a couple of stoners sure. that have come to me and said, I'm doing this, this, and this, and I don't like the way I feel. Mm. I'm like, well, it's because you're not doing it right. Let's, right. let's just start over. Clean slate. Yep. Right, and get to figure it out because if it's not working the way you want it to work, yeah. then you're not doing it right. And if you use
2: this stuff a lot, meaning both frequently and also at high dose, you will cause changes in the biochemistry of your brain, in particular, that will lead to that kind of it's not working the way I want it to be, you yeah. know. And that we can get into a position through recreational use where we have kind of tweaked our brain in a fashion where this sort of more medical approach doesn't work so well and we have to kind of do a reset.
1: So that desensitization period, what do you recommend to patients to stop using altogether? Well,
2: in general, I don't recommend a reset for most patients. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is if they're using cannabis to treat something, then the idea of withdrawing it for a prolonged period of time seems Mm kind of cruel, right? If I'm having a lot of pain, I don't want to go two weeks in pain so in those cases, what I tend to do is try to slowly wean it back. Right. And what I've found is that that's a tough sell, number one. I mean, for a lot of folks, they're, they're like, you know...
0: Or what I've found helpful is introducing different cannabinoids. Mm. So in other words, if, they, if they're in, if using too much THC, we could introduce a different cannabinoid, THCA, some of the acidic sure. forms, the raw plant, juicing. Mm-hmm. Right, other ways that they're still getting the cannabis in their system <coughs> to help promote homeostasis or balance in our bodies, mm-hmm. but decreasing some of that over Absolutely. Uh, neurotransmitter saturation you know, Absolutely receptors. Absolutely, right.
2: I think that some of it comes down to their being willing to kind of trust us enough that we're actually gonna make them better than they are, even though we're saying decrease things a little bit. Right. But, uh, you know, and, and that's a tough process and it takes weeks. So I, mm-hmm. I just generally say, this is not a high pressure situation. We just wanna kind of slowly and gently ratchet this back a little bit. And what people find is if they do that, they actually get more benefit with less. Right. And so that's, I think, a, a, a great thing. Occasionally I do, you know, Suggest a tolerance break um, and then usually two weeks seems to work pretty well I mean, mm-hmm. I know that there are people who talk about doing it for a month Which seems a little bit excessive to me and I know that you know Dustin talks about two days Right? Does, I have that not effective? seen that work. Um, I've seen it
0: work five days. Okay, but I but I have people do things <laughs> I have them eating a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables especially citrus. Okay. I have them doing earthing I have them doing cold showers I have them doing exercising, moving, doing things to really up-re- upregulate your endocannabinoid system naturally. Interesting. Yeah, very right? interesting. Right? And, and I've, I've found that that, that helps. Dr. Tischler. Mm-hmm. we are running out this of time. is Oh, that's but too bad. We, before, Amazing. We're going to wind down in just a second, but I want people, what is your website? Please tell ah, everyone with your website. So
2: if you guys want to get in touch with me, please don't hesitate. I love hearing from you all. So go to my website, which is Inhale md.com and you can read we've got a hundred or so articles on this subject for people to, to look into uh, and obviously you can email us through that you can also phone us if you're of that mind the number is 617-477-8886
0: dr tischler thank you so much for being awesome. on we My will pleasure. have you on again we've got and a you'll we'll come back this is really, really come back. absolutely yes So before we wrap up the show, we like to talk about a little bit about how the Green Nurse Group, we're a whole health nonprofit consulting agency, Dale and I work together, and she does certifications and I do consultations as well. And what is really important for us is how we can help serve the underserved. There's a large patient population out there that just doesn't have the financing or the funding to get Mm -hmm. the care that they need, cannabis can be expensive. So we have smile.amazon.com. Green Nurse Group is a 5013c nonprofit where so if you go and you shop at Amazon, you can go to smile.amazon.com, load up your cart and you can pick the Green Nurse Group as your charity. No cost to you, it just comes right off the cart. Right. That's
2: brilliant. Yeah. And
0: then also Facebook has a charity so if you wanted to have a fundraiser for your birthday and you want to The Green Nurse Group patients could use some help. You can contribute to that, and that that money goes to the Green Nurse Group so we can serve the underserved. How is that money spent? I've used that money to pay for $50 going to Mass General Hospital. I had to see a patient in the hospital. That funding helped pay for that garage visit.
1: Paying for medication. Paying for for
0: medication and really helping people to get what they need. Some of our upcoming shows that we have, we're gonna be talking about cyclic vomiting syndrome, Mm -hmm. gastrointestinal disorders, nutrition, as the holidays are coming around right now. Very big, yes. Eating is huge, depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress. Everything, we are gonna be talking about a lot of different things that are gonna help you to stay well, to live your best life through the holidays. So, So, thank you so much for watching us. us. Please join us next week at the same time. And remember, it's all about living your your best
1: life. life.